2: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thrilled to death that you could join us and also so thrilled to have our guests today. We're going to be talking about electric vehicles in America and the, some of the exciting news in this industry. I am just wild about this topic because I think that we are at the genesis of a huge Revolution in the way that we do transportation in this country, and we have the best possible guest uh, with us today to talk about what's going on. We are joined today by Brian Wynn. He is the president of the Electric Drive Transportation Transportation Association, and he's going to be talking to us about what's going on currently and also some of the things that we can look forward to on the horizon when it comes to EVs, or electric vehicles, in America. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Brian. Glad that you could have us. Thanks, Glad we could have you. Here. <laughs> Let's begin by having you explain to our listeners what the EDTA, or Electric Drive Transportation Association, is. Tell us kind of your your mission and some of the benefits that your members enjoy.
3: Be
4: happy to do that, Jill. Uh, EDTA is a, a trade association. We're located in Washington D.C. Uh, we're member-based, of course, and it's a fairly unusual group. It's it's really uh, represents uh, many communities, many industries that are working together uh, to electrify transportation uh we of course have most of the automotive uh participants in the marketplace that you can think of we also have leading utility companies um you're in california so socal edison uh san diego gas and electric uh pacific gas and electric smud up in sacramento etc uh are all longstanding members of edta Uh, and we represent, uh, the value chain, as it were, of everyone that's helping to produce the cars and the chargers, uh, and the materials and the, the components, uh, all the way down to, um, uh, groups like UPS that are actually utilizing the technology, uh, and, um, and, and want to contribute to, the broader community on how it's actually landing in the marketplace so very diverse group our mission is really to uh, to to collaborate together uh, in a fairly unusual way of course the utility companies and auto companies uh, other than here um, you know they don't really collaborate with each other on <laughs> anything so mm-hmm. uh, so working together to bring this solution to the marketplace uh... and i say solution it 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 really electric drive as you know is a big solution to some of the environmental challenges that we face uh... to many of the uh... Um, energy security objectives that we're seeking to achieve uh... it helps to create jobs in the country Um and uh... Um, and so it's it's a it's a big lever to help us to move forward into the next transportation system that we're all moving toward
2: It's, it's an exciting time. It really is. And, and what I like about your organization is that it's not just an association of people selling the technology. I mean, it really is quite a consortium of people at, at every coming at this from every angle, and, and knowing that the utilities are on board is is great. Also, you know, having folks who are involved with the battery technology and the power systems, I just think that's so exciting. You know, we've had another group on the show uh, that some of our listeners are familiar with. They're called the Electrification Coalition, and I'm wondering how how your organization is different and maybe in some ways the same as the Electrification Coalition
4: great question we're, we're good collaborators with the electrification coalition and um they they like others um uh, are also working to to bring folks together i think the electrification coalition is is a little bit more narrowly focused than edta uh, that's the typical distinction between a coalition it's a smaller group more focused sometimes category specific whereas associations tend to be broader based uh, and, and we, we go on and on and on. So we, we, uh, coalitions can be set up to, to focus on a particular thing to get it done, particularly here in Washington. Associations, we have an extremely broad program, uh, that handles everything from legislative work that's ongoing, some of which we collaborate with <clears throat> the Electrification Coalition on, uh, to regulatory work. How does EV, uh, or e- electric drive technology play in CAFE standards, for example? uh how are lithium what what kind of safety issues are involved in transporting lithium ion batteries on airplanes things like that very much uh topical today uh to how do we educate the general public about this technology so it tends to be a broader based program that that goes on and kind of morphs uh, as the market um evolves
2: over time Mm-hmm. Well, I have a couple of questions for you related to recent speeches that have been given in the Washington, D.C. area. The first is the one that Secretary Chu gave at the Washington Auto Show. I'd love to get – I know he's the outgoing Secretary of the Department of Energy, and, and we've got somebody new who will be coming in. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he gave an important address at the at the Washington Auto Show, and I'd like to get your reaction to his comments.
4: Um, I agree with you is a very important address. I was fortunate to be on hand for that and we had a meeting at the White House right hand, right before uh, we went over to the auto show uh, to make that announcement it was of course uh, the next stage in the EV Everywhere program which the Department of Energy launched uh, last year. And of course the the objective of the EV Everywhere program is to accelerate the process that we're currently in to make, electric vehicles competitive with combustion combustion engine vehicles. Uh, combustion engine vehicles, of course, using a technology with a 100-year head start, mm-hmm. uh, depending upon how you want to look at it. The Secretary really focused on, on the next version or the, the next initiative in that uh, program, which is to uh, encourage pri- the private sector to put in workplace charging. And of course, charging is extremely important in a number of ways for what we're trying to do in electrifying transportation. Not the least of which is we want people to see a how convenient it is to charge their cars and make it more and more convenient. There's electricity around us virtually everywhere we go, unless we're hiking up in the mountains, which I enjoy doing as well. <laughs> um, but most of us driving, uh, you know, our cars are sitting in one or two places. They're either sitting on our driveway at home. Uh, or they're sitting at the office where we are. Um, well, some of us, when we're when we're not sitting at home,
3: mm-hmm.
4: sometimes a little bit longer than we want to be. Uh, <laughs> and our cars are sitting there, and it's pretty easy uh, to to plug them in in some instances. So, what the initiative that the secretary announced uh, involves is encouraging large companies, and several of them uh, stepped up in this process and were were included in the announcement uh... to provide uh... very simple in some instances uh... hundred twenty-volt charging in their parking lots for cars and we think that's really important and and very exciting because the more people see other people plugging in their cars the more they're going to ask questions about it uh, and and the more they're going to get informed about it aware of it and, and become more educated about it uh, so that was the primary focus of what he's doing and it fits into the broader ev everywhere strategy of, of taking the push streams of technology, uh, and creating a greater and greater market pull.
2: Are you concerned at all that the EV Everywhere program will uh, receive less attention as we go into a new administration of a a new secretary of the Department of Energy? I have seen some reports about who that person might be, and uh, the top contender uh, that I have seen um, has had a lot of research funding from oil companies, and I'm just wondering if you're concerned at all about backpedaling um, as a result of you know the focus of the new secretary,
4: not not really concerned about that. Um, primarily because the president himself, as you know, is a real believer in this effort. He's a real believer in the technology, uh, and it, he's a long-standing believer. I I, I, I remind people that. Uh, when we designed tax credits for, that are currently in the marketplace for plug-in vehicles, uh, there were three co-sponsors to the legislation, uh, that EDTA members helped draft and they were Senators Cantwell from Washington, Maria Cantwell, Senator Orrin Hatch, who's been a, a huge supporter of uh, electrification efforts over the year from Utah, and Senator Barack Obama from your state of Illinois,
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, your original state of Illinois, I should say. Yes. <laughs> and, um, he, even back then, he as a senator, as a freshman senator, uh, he wasn't in the Senate more than a, a term, but he was very excited about uh, the benefits of this. You, you look at the other people that surround Secretary Chu, people like, uh, Dr. David Danielson, uh, who was, uh, employee one at ARPA-E, uh, an extremely important, uh, effort to, uh, to try and, and collaborate between government and industry on how to advance particularly battery technology, but also power electronics used in advanced technology vehicles. Uh, Assistant Secretary David Sandalow, who, uh, who has been in many ways carrying the torch for electric vehicles. He's written, uh, books, in fact, uh, when he was at the Brookings Institution about electrifying transportation. We, we have a lot of supporters in this administration, starting at the top, uh, and I could go on talking about people even on other agencies that are extremely supportive. But generally speaking, the EV Everywhere program, of course, DOE is in the lead on that. Dr. Danielson is in the lead on that. Uh, I I am not at all concerned that new leadership in DOE is going to take away our focus on that.
2: Well, let's talk about the man at the top for a moment. Um, What did you hear in the State of the Union address um, just recently that gives you that that comfort that we're still going to be focusing on the electrification of our transportation system?
4: Generally, I think this president—and not to make this remotely partisan—but um, because EDTA and electrification efforts have had tremendous bipartisan support over the years, um, and, and continue to have bipartisan support. But this president, I think, looks looks beyond and having talked to him directly i you know he's very engaged in a conversation of not just how do we make immediate improvements how do we put people back to work immediately in jobs that are sustainable over the long term and make us a more competitive economy uh... and a competitive uh... increase our competitiveness as a country but he also thinks about what comes after what comes next which is Mm sort of a game that that is unusual in Washington a game i i i think is extremely important uh to look over the horizon see where technologies converge uh, and create uh, opportunities for real breakthroughs not just incremental improvements but breakthroughs the, you know the kinds of breakthroughs that occurred when you had a complete change in the platform of how people communicate uh, through the internet for example Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually thinking along those lines. He's thinking about how do we use the resources of government, uh, the collective resources of government to invest in what's going to make this country, uh, continue to keep this country in the lead over the medium and the long term. So uh, that's, that's what I like about the dialogue that we're in. That's what I heard, uh, resonate and echo in the state of the union address he continues to look at the medium and the long term and what what should be invested in the country uh in order to move us forward
2: I was also encouraged, and this I think relates very much to um, the electrification of our of our transportation system. His emphasis on STEM education—science, technology, engineering, and mathematics—certainly, in order to create that kind of a, a paradigm shift in our transportation system, we're going to need as many uh, American students and and then American graduates of our universities focusing on an education that will enable them to be the innovators of that new transportation system. So I found that encouraging as well. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, much, much more about the burgeoning market of our electric vehicle industry and Brian Wynn, president of the Electric Drive Transportation Association. Don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this.
1: News. Opinion. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us. And if you happen to just be tuning in, our guest today is Brian Wynn. He is the president of the Electric Drive Transportation Association. If you want to check out their website while we're talking with Brian, feel free to do that. Don't Close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.electricdrive.org. And that's where you can find out a lot of great information, see some videos and some uh, all kinds of resources about what's going on in the electric vehicle world and so that's a great website for you to check out. You know, Brian, I have to mention this just because, you know, in my little world of soccer moms and hockey moms and what have you, uh, there's been some concern mentioned when we look at uh, current events and stories about some of the problems with lithium-ion batteries in the new Bowen 787 um, 787 Dreamliners and people knowing that there are lithium-ion batteries in electric vehicles And, and I think I think there's some confusion about whoa wait a second is there a problem generally speaking with lithium-ion batteries or is it just uh, you know with this airline uh, situation can you give us a little bit of uh, background on that
4: well thank you for that question because I, I, I do think that there is concern out there and and we're those are those questions are being raised uh, very openly and in some instances lurk in the minds of many consumers uh, that are new to this technology I Of course, can't speak to the seven eighty seven situation. I think there's a lot that still needs to be uh, that's still being investigated there and and um, I know that that one way or the other they're going to get that right if you go back and I'm a bit of an aviation enthusiast myself. If you go back and look at the introduction of seven forty seven they had a lot of challenges to work out, and of course, um, many of us have flown many miles on seven forty sevens similar, similarly, we have um, I think, uh, a lot of experience with the the batteries that are going into cars although we've just started uh... in some ways the commercial uh... introduction of plug-in vehicles uh, a little over two years ago Uh, it didn't just start with the the vehicles entering the marketplace. A lot of work went into testing the batteries, abusing the batteries to see how they'd respond in difficult situations. Um, And of course automotive use is in some ways uh, one of the most rigorous and challenging environments uh, that that we put our electronics and our batteries through uh... we have millions and millions of miles now of experience with these batteries i personally have been driving uh... electric vehicles uh... a plug-in electric vehicle uh... since the early since before the market introduction uh... and there are people in- including some who you i'm sure you've had on your program who've been driving since the late eighties um consistently with electric vehicles what's clear is that we're advancing the technology for batteries so there's always something new to be learned about advanced materials uh, how can we make the batteries more energy dense ultimately you know we're we're competing with gasoline that's a very energy dense fuel carrier or early energy carriers a fuel uh, so there will continue to be efforts on uh, un- underway to make these batteries more energy dense but i can emphasize this enough that will not be done at the expense of safety every automaker knows that safety comes first uh, our vehicles are extremely extremely uh... safe to drive and becoming more safe all the time with some of the technologies uh... that we're building into them but the batteries in electric vehicles are are, are fundamentally Safe. Uh, this is. We've gone through this with NHTSA. They continue to to look at this question all the time in the broader spectrum of how to make a vehicle safe. Um, and, and I personally feel extremely safe, and one in some respects uh, even more safe than having to drive a, a vehicle with with a, a combustible fuel in it. So
2: mm-hmm.
4: uh, that's kind of where I am on that subject.
2: Well, let's move to a recent report that came out about the year in review for 2012. Talk to us about what that year meant to the electric drive industry, because that's some pretty exciting news.
4: 2012 was really a, a huge year uh, for not only increasing volumes of what we call the latest version, uh, latest configuration of, of electric drive technology, i.e., that which plugs into the grid, uh, but it was also very notable for increasing numbers of models that are available to consumers uh,
3: and,
4: and their availability across the country. Uh, as I said a little earlier, we only really started uh, introducing plug-in vehicles into the market uh, in their latest configurations in, uh, call it October of 2010. So we're a little over two years into this particular phase. Uh, and of course when the Volt and the Leaf came in on the market and joined the Tesla Roadster back then um they they came in in relatively limited volumes and limited markets initially now the, those two vehicles are are clearly available on a na- national basis um which is great because we want as people get excited about the technology we want to make sure that they can go to a dealership near them mm-hmm.
3: uh, and
4: um and and see the vehicle drive test drive the vehicle and speak with with a salesperson who is who is well um, well informed about the capabilities of that vehicle and can make them uh, aware of of the things they need to consider. Now we've got more and more vehicles coming not just uh, in volumes, but in in different price points uh, and 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 different configurations. So we've got pure electric vehicles uh, being added to the mix uh... we've got plug-in hybrids uh... we've got range extended vehicles including increasingly we've got pickup trucks and things like that uh, so uh... and this is really key we we want to be able to show people that there's going to be a vehicle out there if there isn't one out there for them yet in their price point there will be soon uh... and make sure that they know uh... which of these types of configurations makes the mo- most amount of sense for them we already can see that the people that are driving plug-in vehicles love them. I mean extraordinarily high marks uh the Chevrolet Volt uh consumer reports uh top satisfaction award uh consumer satisfaction uh, two years in a row. I don't think that's ever happened before in consumer reports. Um so those are the kinds of of signals that you look at that automakers look at say how are these being received by our customers? Uh, and that's really good news. So they're going to they're going to double down, and you're going to see more and more models coming into the marketplace.
2: What's the outlook for 2013? Um, wh- what do you predict will be uh, the increase in the number of sales and and market share of the industry as a whole? Well,
4: I try to stay out of the business of forecasting sales. Um, that's been a little <laughs> hazardous, uh, no matter what some ways no matter what product you're talking about but any kind of new technology is always a little tricky uh, but I can tell you that we're tripling the number of, of models in the marketplace over the next two years so 2013 and 2014 we'll see an expansion uh, of of the vehicles that are coming into the marketplace um, times three uh, again more choice for consumers uh, you know and at different price points the model S obviously is aiming at a you know that's of interest to people uh who spend a little bit more money uh on their cars than the uh, Nissan Leaf for the which has just gone down in price quite significantly uh so they're trying to change their demographic just a little bit as well so mm-hmm. there's some adjustments that are being made even as the you know some of the vehicles have been in the market a little bit longer as we've learned you know what kinds of consumers are interested in them and what they're willing to pay for them as well
2: well, while I have you uh, with us, I'm going to put a little bug in your ear on behalf of all the uh, sports-related families out there. We need a minivan. <laughs> <with Luke laughs> I'm,
4: hearing for about th- I'm hearing this.
2: Yeah, three hockey bags because we carpool and maybe some soccer gear and all that stuff. That's what we're looking for, and, you know, we love the environment because we love our kids, and so um, – Maybe you could pass that word along. (laughs) Having
4: raised a Boy Scout and having taken (laughs) taken the troop up into the woods, I, I can relate. (laughs)
2: Well, you know, one of the things that comes up when we talk about electric vehicles on Go Green Radio is that depending on where you live, the fuel that's used to create the electricity that's going to be fueling that car might have very low carbon emissions. And sometimes if you're, you know, very near coal plants, it might have very high carbon emissions. If electric vehicles really do take off, and consumer demand for electricity increases even more than it already is due to other consumption trends over which, you know, the electric drive industry has no control. Will we be trading traditional vehicle emissions for increased emissions elsewhere at these traditional power plants? I mean, do you feel like we're bringing enough clean energy to the grid in order to meet the demand for more EVs?
4: Well, first off, uh, I think it's important for people to recognize that studies have been done uh, in in, collab- in a collaborative way between the utility industry and the environmental community, which demonstrate that plugging your car in, given the g- given the current mix in the generation of electricity, um, and when I say mix, I mean you know coal versus natural gas versus wind versus solar, et cetera um... it's still better than using gasoline which is an extraordinary statistic given the fact that uh, or, or or notion given the fact that you know combustion engines continue to get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner but we've 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 really wrung about as much moisture out of that towel as as we can and even though combustion engines will continue to get better it's important to keep in mind that that today no matter where you are even if you're using coal to produce your electricity it's still better from an emissions point of view uh, to plug in your car because the emissions can be addressed in a central source uh... rather than in multiple sources and when i made my comment at the top of the show about the utility industry and the auto industry working together that's extremely significant from an environmental point of view because those are two industries that were typically at odds with each other in environmental policy mobile sources versus central sources et cetera it's really important for them to be on the same page and working collaboratively to introduce this technology into the marketplace going forward of course and we already see this um with the price of natural gas being so low uh, with all the new fines um, it, it it's it's obviously we're we're retiring coal plants at a at a faster rate than even anyone predicted four or five years ago. So that's a phenomenon that we're watching very carefully because we think that's a positive trend. Um and and of course
2: renewables
4: and the president tagged up on this in his State of the Union address, renewables have been a, a significant percentage of the the generation that's being added in, in even the, the, the most recent year on record. So um... here's the thing that I think about when I look at the utility grid, and I, I am most excited about electrifying transportation, not just because the cars are really cool, and I love driving these cars mm-hmm. so much more than, uh, than, than the ones that I've now handed down to my teenagers. Um, <laughs> they, they, you know, the, the utility grid is, has a phenomenal amount of of capability uh, that's not utilized at night, right? And right. as we think about, as a, if I'm a utility executive, if I think about investing in cleaner technologies, that's a big capital investment, of course, and they're they're being. Uh, they're being forced to do that for business reasons and also for uh, regulatory reasons. In any case, right. so I think about this is how do I amortize that cost? How do I spread that cost over a long period of time and make sure that I don't have to charge um, uh, people on fixed incomes more money from the electricity? And the answer is, I can use if I can figure out a way to create smart load for my grid. That is particularly using uh, the energy that's available on that grid at night. I can actually I can actually uh invest in cleaner technologies uh and at in some ways it's somewhat counterintuitive bring the price of electricity down. In other words, the more cars right. we plug in that are just sitting there in the driveway at night uh to the grid to utilize that capability and that capacity mm-hmm. that's available. Um, the 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 cheaper I can I can make my electricity. That's so right, and Brian actually, that's here.
2: something that we have talked about. You know, on Go Green Radio, how do we utilize wind farms, uh, mm-hmm. even in the absence of energy storage? You know, we're going to be going to break in just a few moments before. But before we do, I want to take a quick caller, Randall from Phoenix. He's got a quick question for us. And uh, Randall, go ahead with your question.
3: Hi, Brian. Hi, Jill. Thanks for doing the show today, Jill. It's uh, it's a good program to have on, in spite of, in in light of the fact that um, what President Obama just said in the State of the Union address. Uh, I just want to make a quick comment. Uh, Last summer, I was over in London, and I saw an electric vehicle, a taxi from about 1918. So (laughs) I think it's a misconception (laughs) that. uh and i took a photograph of it too uh it was a yellow and black vehicle really actually very very pretty i think it was manufactured right before 1920 and i can't be exactly sure of the date but it's in the uh british science museum if anyone's over there can go see that um, but one of the things that questions that i had is what, where where is technology going right now uh to actually start using possibly solar to charge your uh your vehicle at home where, where, what's happening with that
2: you know what, Randall? That is an awesome question, and we are going to take that up right after the break. We've got to pay the bills for a second, take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll answer you first. All right? Thanks for joining us. All right. All right. We'll Thanks. be right back with more Go Green Radio right after this break.
1: News. Opinion your voice counts call toll-free 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 voiceamerica.com the latest business information is made simple with the voice america business network
0: By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just tuning in, our guest today is Brian Wynn. He's the president of the Electric Drive Transportation Association. And right before we went to break, we had a most excellent question from Randall calling in from Phoenix. He asked a question, and I'm going to let Brian handle this, about what is being done to utilize solar energy technology in terms of how we can maximize the amount of solar energy that's used to power our electric vehicles. And, Brian, I'd love for you to talk about that.
4: Well, first off, that that's a great question because ultimately this is really about making transportation more sustainable. Uh, and the thing that's exciting about this intersection between electric vehicles and renewable energy is that if, if you're – we talk about making our energy use more sustainable, but transportation is a a huge kind of black hole uh, where we've got a monopoly fuel called oil or gas. Um, Well, oil, uh, since natural gas implies natural gas. But uh, To me, uh, when the sun's shining, and I'm here in Washington, it's a beautiful day, we've got a beautiful sky, um the extent to which we can use that to power transportation uh... is extremely important and many of the early adopters in EV are of course the same early adopters that ha- are are putting solar arrays on their roof or already have long since uh... and in some instances they've gone completely uh... carbon free with their transportation footprint uh, obviously i think there's going to be more and more of that uh... not unlike electric vehicles and, and electric drive technology uh, what you have going on in solar is the introduction of a, a technology that continues to advance and get better um... so very interesting global economics uh, and i know we're going to get to this too, jill uh... of you know where those get produced and and mm-hmm. how do we how do we get the prices down to a point where it makes commercial sense for more and more people and more and more organizations to leverage solar but the bottom line here is that at the end of the day you you tagged up on wind energy and you know there's a huge amount of of wind being or energy being produced by west texas wind for example uh, and they're really excited about electric vehicles because there's a place where they can actually put that electricity at night, which is to fuel people's cars in their driveways. I think of solar the same way; it's intermittent. Um, you know, EVs in some ways can be thought of very, very simply as as energy storage on four wheels. The more we can capture that sun, put it into into batteries, uh, ultimately, uh, the better off we're all going to be.
2: Well, and also addressing Randall's question from the perspective of one of our guests that we've had on in the last, I don't know, four to five weeks when we were talking about energy storage capability, there is some uh, movement towards not just utility scale energy storage, but energy storage that you could have in your home. So, for instance, if you do have solar panels up on your roof and your car happens to be at work during the day when all that solar is being produced, that there may be an opportunity to store Store some of that energy at your home site so that when you come home in the evening, there's excess energy that's been created during the day for you to use to plug in your vehicle and charge it up using that solar energy that was created on your roof during the day. So I think as the technology advances for the actual drivetrain, um, you know, of, a, of electric vehicles, some of these infrastructure pieces like energy storage at a variety of levels is also going to allow us to further utilize solar, wind, and other renewable energy technologies as well. So that is very exciting. Um, Brian, you know, I know that a lot of people, when – Electric vehicles, when you first look at them, sometimes there's a little bit of sticker shock, although that's beginning to dwindle, as you mentioned previously. Different price points uh, are coming along in the market, different models of, of EVs. What percentage of the sticker price for an electric vehicle is actually the cost of the battery?
4: Well, it depends on the size of the battery, of course, and I'm not trying to duck this question. It's, this is, in some ways, very instructive and part of uh, the good story that we have with electric vehicles you know a, a plug-in prius uses a much smaller battery pack than a chevrolet volt uh and a chevrolet volt uses a much smaller battery pack uh than a pure electric um uh... coda or leaf for example or or let alone a you know a 300 mile um, model s so um so the the battery pack is an important part of the cost some people would sort of tag it as about a third of the cost um I, I, I think the, the important thing to recognize here is that there are other elements of advanced technology, uh, and specifically electric vehicles that are expensive as well. Power electronics is an important part of the cost of a vehicle. Um and power electronics actually are advancing down a cost curve, um a lot faster in some respects than battery costs. But battery costs have generally, I mean the forecasts are, are you know, they're different from, from analyst to analyst, but we're generally coming down that cost curve faster. Uh, and the reason is because most people are just looking at the sales of electric vehicles and saying, gee, we won't get to scale quickly enough for the sale of lithium ion batteries that way. But what they're not looking at is the fact that UPS is also going to be leveraging this technology in their trucks they'll utilize more of it in their trucks as we get to lower price points per kilowatt hour but we can get to lower pro- uh, price points also by using lithium ion batteries uh... for grid storage and things like that other applications that are stationary rather than just mobile final point that i'll make is that, uh... and it comes back to your question of how, what's the cost of you know the, the overall percentage in a vehicle which is difficult to answer and that is that some of the new gasoline hybrids, which is, and I'm saying that for effect, uh, the traditional hybrids, and you know, those have been in the marketplace since the Insight and the Prius came in in the early, early part of, of the, of 2000. Mm-hmm. um, those are now starting to shift over to lithium-ion batteries, uh, and, and away from nickel-metal hydride batteries that have been so effective as power storage or power batteries uh more and more of the hybrids and we'll have 73 models of regular hybrids in the marketplace by the end of next model year an extraordinary jump um and also building out uh a larger and larger scale for power electronics many of them will also use lithium ion batteries in their configurations so i think you know at the end of the day it's still a large part of the vehicle but of course you know it's a dollar a gallon essentially to drive electric electrically uh... using electricity and so there's a cost savings there and you know you're not you're not having to go to the gas pump literally uh... you know every time to put Mm -hmm. an extremely volatile price in your in your car so at the end of the day i think it's a tricky calculus right now but i think we're now like with other technologies we're getting to a place where we'll start to see uh... that cost in the vehicle start to diminish and the mm-hmm. premiums associated with an electric vehicle versus a conventional vehicle start to uh, start to narrow
2: Well, the reason that I ask is because though we can, to some degree, control the price of the electricity that fuels the batteries, one of the things that I'm concerned about, and this goes back to the piece in my bio that says former U.S. Naval officer, is that we know that so much of the battery technology is not domestic. We want to develop more of that. But even the rare earth minerals required to create today's technology of the batteries is Generally speaking, not on our shores. And so if foreign battery makers decide to play hardball and drive the price up, I'm just wondering how much of the vehicle price, (laughs) you know, of our electric vehicles could be volatile and could be based upon how friendly or unfriendly our trade relationships are with the countries who are currently dominating that market. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Brian?
4: Well, it, you, you're actually in my wheelhouse because that's my background. It's international economics, and, and I'm 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 strongly motivated by geopolitics here. Um, so I, I I certainly understand I understand the context of your question, and I think the same premise applies to to oil, right? It's it's it the does. sort of thing where you know I, Secretary of the Navy Ray Mabus is is one of the biggest supporters of electric drive because mm-hmm. and thank you for your service you know the US Navy has to protect the supply lines
2: that Precisely. we're dependent
4: upon uh and the price of of gasoline I'm I'm always at pains to point out uh, or the price of oil generally speaking which today sits at 97 and you know it's it's like inching up on $100 a barrel <clears throat> as we get closer to Memorial Day uh we'll see mm-hmm. you know our moder- our quote moderated gasoline prices start to spike again uh, we will never control that price. You know, it, it doesn't matter how much gasoline we produce domestically in this country. Uh, we will never control the price of oil. That's essentially controlled in large measure by a cartel called OPEC. And this is something uh, that I think uh, is whether you agree with that statement or not, and I, I think it stands to reason and is self-evident based on pure international economics, uh, one way or the other, I'm all about, and my organization is all about, and my community is all about, creating some choice for consumers. You have a choice now. You can actually look at this and say, you know what, I, I think that this is a better way to go. The good news about electric drive is we're using, the plug-in electric drivers is, is we're using electricity that is to an extremely high degree domestically produced. So I, 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 I get the same concern. I have the same concern. I just have a much larger concern when it comes to dealing with a situation where we rely on one monopoly fuel to move people and goods in this country. And I think that's very, very... Uh, that's something that we really need to, to, to change.
2: Agreed. And I think one of the things that I'd like to see is organizations like your own helping the Department of Energy and whomever uh, we need to influence to do a couple things. Um, if we're going to change our infrastructure, our energy infrastructure and our transportation infrastructure um, to utilize technologies that depend upon rare earth minerals. It's not like we don't have rare earth minerals in the United States. We just Correct. aren't mining for them. I'd like to see a, a real focus on a domestic supply of these rare earth minerals so that we have some control over the raw materials needed to push this technology. And hence, we'd have some control over the pricing. Um, you know, if... It also wouldn't hurt, of course, if we were actually producing the batteries. Um, but even if we had some control over the supply chain of the raw materials, I think that'd be a big plus. You know, and, and in speaking about, you know, battery and, and, uh, manufacturing those domestically, what has recently happened with A123, um, is kind of, um, Well, I don't want to say alarming, but it's kind of disappointing from a lot of folks' perspective in that we put a lot of public dollars into the R&D of that battery company and that manufacturing, but now they've gone bankrupt and it looks as though a Chinese company will be purchasing them and, and taking up all that publicly funded R&D. How do you think that situation is going to impact future investments of public dollars in similar technology? Do you think we'll learn any lessons and, and get a little smarter about that, or, or what do you think will be the upshot of that situation?
4: Yeah, I think so, and, and let me back up one step from that, because because EDTA had a lot to do, beginning in 2005, um, in developing our 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 action plan, which evolves and we 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 reissue it for each Congress as they come in, uh, we had a lot to do with shining a, a flashlight on upstream manufacturing as both um, a, a concern, uh, uh, you know, in the context that you're raising it. In other words, we don't want to be dependent upon. Uh, any other country, uh, for the production of, of what we think is the next generation of transportation, uh, vehicles in the country. Uh, but it was also a huge opportunity. So when, you know, back then we started looking at not just the R&D and how we needed to continue to collaborate between industry and government on R&D, but we also looked at how do we build the upstream manufacturing capacity. If everybody Tomorrow wanted to buy an electric vehicle uh, for reasons that I would prefer not to contemplate right now. Um, we would really struggle um, even with A123 online uh, to manufacture that many batteries that quickly, and I'm not sure that that's a you know clearly that's not a realistic scenario. That's not how any technology ever. Uh, enters the marketplace but in order to be successful we, we knew that this was a this was both needed and a huge opportunity to put people back to work in this country um, i think what what has happened and and by the way the, the funding that we were successful in getting uh... devoted to upstream manufacturing for advanced technology vehicles with a heavy emphasis on batteries resulted in some twenty eight twenty nine projects uh... a one two three i think is a high profile uh event which you know is is now sorting out but i i i you know the the broader question here is is at what point does the demand uh for batteries catch up with the investment that the taxpayer made and it wasn't just taxpayer money of course that was leveraging private investment
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, and my my belief is that it will catch up the taxpayer will get a return on 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 his and her investment uh, as will the private money that went in uh because we are selling more and more vehicles we are selling you know we went up 198% from 2011 to 2012 in plug-in vehicle sales ultimately that number will start to come down and but we'll still be advancing the number of vehicles sold uh i talked also about you know the use of lithium ion batteries in regular hybrid cars in stationary storage applications etc before the stimulus package we had a lot of plans and a lot of companies were planning to invest in this technology and in manufacturing which is heavily capital intensive but they weren't going to locate those factories here they were going to locate them in china or korea
3: mm-hmm.
4: so uh... or in some instances in europe so we, we actually did ourselves an enormous i think service over the medium and the long term uh, by making that investment in a critical time and i think over time what you'll see is that a one two three will will be successful uh... as will uh, the other projects that uh... Um, you know that we invested money in.
2: well in also in keeping with this idea of investing public money, I don't think it's any surprise, especially to people in New England, that there is some very necessary infrastructure upgrade needed to our energy and our grid infrastructure um, not just to accommodate electric vehicles, but to help minimize things like massive and long term power outages when a storm hits. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's probably true, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd like for you to comment on this. Talk about some of the infrastructure that needs to happen uh, to our, our grid and our local, our local energy structures um, that, to, that would both upgrade our, our energy transmission and distribution systems, but also better accommodate a, a, a broad-based electrification of our light transportation.
4: Well, it, the interesting thing about the utility grid to me is that, is that when it goes down, it, it affects all industry. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no question about it, and it, and it, it affects all fueling. You, you can't run a gas pump without electricity. Um, mm-hmm. so, and we, we saw that um, in Florida when not one, not two, not three, but four hurricanes hit uh, in Florida in 2005, mm-hmm. um, one of which destroyed my mother's town in Punta Gorda, Florida, named Charlie. Um and, and, oh, and I remember Mike Jackson, the head of Auto Nation, talking at our conference and saying, you know, when the first one came through everybody kinda of pulled together and, and, and worked together and, and it was a very, a great community spirit. After the second one came through and the gas ran out, it was a little bit different. So mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more with Superstorm Sandy, with the, the challenges that and, and the frequency now starting to, to be a real concern where these once a century storms come along. Uh, I, I think that, that A, that, uh, the, the president's correct. We need to seriously look at what we can do now. There's not a moment to be lost, uh, to change the, 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 essentially the trajectory that we're on with carbon. There's no question. Mm -hmm. And the good news is that EDTA and Electric Drive is right there with that solution. But it invests, it's like all carbon issues, it's gonna take a while, and we've gotta stay on it with very consistent policies. And I, 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 sound like a broken record on this from time to time. Washington is not good at long-term consistency. You know, we, we tend to sort of gravitate toward what's sexy right now, uh, and, and this has been sexy for a while, but I'm determined that we as, and, and the federal level, and increasingly you see this at the state level as well, uh, are putting in place policies that will help over the, 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 the long term, uh, so we stay consistent and we allow the investments that both the taxpayers and private, um, uh, private investors have made, uh, to, to yield fruit and yield the benefits that we so desperately need as a country. Um so I, I, I think that the, the, the utility grid is a, is a, is a particular problem um I'm I'm very fortunate to have on my board Tom Kuhn, the head of the Edison Electric Institute, um also Mark Duval from the uh the Electric Power Research Institute. These are the kinds of things where they look at it and say, you know what, if we've got the ability uh to store energy somewhere uh so that when we run out of when, when these kinds of problems occur we can get back up faster. Uh, that yields some very, very interesting ideas, and I'll just name one of them uh, so that I don't go too long on your question. One of them is, for example, hybridizing bucket trucks. Uh, and, and you'll see this more and more, that the bucket trucks have large batteries in them, lithium-ion batteries, and they have the ability to actually go into a neighborhood uh, and silently, by the way, uh, actually put, a, put a, a, a neighborhood back online uh, when it's off the grid uh... basically by running an engine uh... that is putting electricity out or doing it directly out of battery power while they're actually working on replacing a transformer or putting a line back up that's been knocked down they're actually providing electricity to the neighborhood using electric drive technology. So not only can the energy be used on board, but it can be used off board. You're going to start seeing this on pickup trucks as well for contractors with companies like VIA. So there's there's a lot of things that can be done with this technology that help us uh, address this problem both in in a micro way and a macro way.
2: This is so exciting. I mean, it's not just about vehicles and where they go and how far they can go on a charge and all of that. There's so much more um, going on with electric drive technology that could really transform much more of our lives than maybe uh, most of us have even considered besides getting from point A to point B using electricity. This is exciting stuff. Brian, I'm so glad that you could join us. I do encourage all of our listeners to check out your website at www.electricdrive.org. And, folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.